Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and wherever you are listening. Welcome to episode 5 of the Career Tape Podcast Series, brought to you by Brickfield Asia College Career Club. I'm your host, Eden. In today's episode, we will be discussing law and politics, as well as the philosophy behind these two topics. We have invited our guest speaker, Mr. Johnson Chong, to share with us his experience as a lawyer and politician. Before we start off, if you would be so kind as to give our listeners an introduction of yourself, please. Sure. Thanks, Ethan. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Johnson Chong. I am a trained and qualified lawyer, but I haven't been practicing for a while, and I have been in um, mainstream politics for more than 10 years. I joined um, Parti Rakyat Malaysia, and then subsequently, when it merged with Parti Keadilan National, I was active in PKR or Keadilan as they call it. But uh, I've quit politics, well, mainstream politics at least, for more than 10 years now. Thank you for sharing. Now that everyone has gotten to know a little more about you, I think we as law students in general are extremely curious as to how law and politics correlate with each other. Ah, okay. Um, the, well, at least in the Westminster system, which uh, Malaysia's parliamentary democracy is based on, is very relevant because um, to get into mainstream politics or government, you need to be elected to parliament. And the whole point of parliament is legislation, which is law. So obviously it is very, very relevant. But of course there are people who are not uh, trained in law going into politics as well. I suppose these people would have a disadvantage because they don't really know how the law works because it's not just about legislation, but how do you implement those legislation or if there are disputes, how are those disputes resolved? So I think uh, if you want to be a politician, um, studying law is definitely very useful and relevant. I see. So could you share with us how you merged or transformed your career as a lawyer into the field of politics? Ah, okay. Um, I got into politics um, not from a so-called legal route. I was, I was actually quite uh, tired of uh, practicing law, at least in, at those, in those days I was um, practicing conveyancing law, which was quite boring to me, frankly. Um, but um, what, what uh, happened was when I left politics, us rather, when I left uh, legal practice, I joined a, an NGO, a human rights NGO, and uh, that's where um, some people from a political party met me and they invited me to, to join. In fact, when I was about to go to university, or rather after I finished uh, my SPM, um, I wanted to study psychology, but as usual, pressure from uh, you know parents or elder siblings. I was encouraged to study law and finance, and in my mind at that point in time, 
you know, if I want to go into politics, law and, you know, the financial world is quite relevant. So I just accepted it. So in that sense, uh, I knew at some point in my career I was going to move into uh, politics. Okay, very interesting. So on a more personal question, could you share with us a, one of the biggest challenges that you face as a lawyer? As a lawyer? Yes. Uh, you can go from different stages, from yeah. a student to when you were chambering or as a full-fledged full lawyer. Right. Um, honestly, I didn't have any challenges per se when I was uh, when I was chambering or even studying law in university. I was I studied in University of New South Wales, but um, well, I wasn't very focused on my studies. Like perhaps that's one way of putting it. But I didn't see that really so much as a challenge. Chambering was quite smooth sailing as well, as far as I was concerned. But if I, I mean, if there are law students listening to this, my advice would be um, try and get more exposure when you are doing chambering. Because uh, when I was chambering, most of the work that I did was either convincing or debt recovery litigation which is for banks and all that. And that is a very limited scope. So when you come out to practice, um, that, you know, that might uh, limit your opportunities. So I would say try to go to a bigger firm where you can do a bit of different aspects of uh, legal practice. Um, in terms of practice itself, I would say that, um, well, my personal challenges, I find the solicitor work too boring. <laughs> Rather, I was too okay. impatient because you are reading document after document, you know, contract after contract, looking at drafts and all that. Yes. Um, obviously, litigation would, have, would be more interesting, but the uh, fact of the matter is um, the Malaysian system, judicial system, is not as efficient as it could be. There's a lot of room for improvement. So you end up um, waiting in court for your case to be called, sometimes even just a mention. And it could take a very long time. It's a real waste of time. So I didn't enjoy practice, so I was quite happy to, to leave it in that sense. I see. Thank you. So. As a politician, could you share with us your biggest challenge? <laughs> okay. Uh, I think, well, no, I think I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was a bit naive, um, idealistic definitely, but naive in the sense that uh, what I thought politics could achieve, um, they, well, as my contracts lecturer would say there are contracts and there are contracts right and similarly there is politics and there's politics one way of looking at politics is the policies that um, we put into place for the betterment of the country or to serve the people 
there, there's also the other side of politics, which, well, at least in Malaysia or popularly, that seems to be the main focus, which is the politicking part of it. Um, and that's the part, actually, I don't like. I'm, you know, I, I believe I'm a straightforward person and, and I don't, I mean, I can understand why people do that kind of uh, politicking and all that. But I think that really detracts from the reason why we need uh, politicians, i.e. to come up with good policies for the country. So to me, you know, all this is just too much unnecessary uh, distraction from what, well, good politicians ought to be doing, focusing on serving the people. Yeah. So to me, that is the biggest challenge that uh, you have to, well, um, some people will say, you know, you have to do Machiavellian things or uh, you have to deceive or, you know, try and uh, edge out your... It's less about the drama, more towards having goals that are sustainable, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, that's what, what it ought to be. So at some point, I also thought, hang on, uh, politics, or well, at least real politics, um, is not the way that, uh, you know, we can achieve the kind of ideal society. But I suppose that is also rather naive like, to, to think that we can um, achieve that kind of ideal society through mainstream politics. All right. I think that's fair enough. Mm. So, on a more subjective note, I would like to know more about your favourite philosophy towards law and politics. Could you share this one? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Okay. I think my answers would be unconventional uh, in the sense that uh, it does not, you know, um, refer to typical Western philosophy. Um, let's take um, philosophy first. In the Western world, or at least the Western educated people, they would, you know, uh, look at uh, poly uh, sorry philosophers like Hobbes or um, or you know Plato, right? But they do not consider people like uh, Siddhartha Gautama as a philosopher, for example, or any of the Indian sages. But to me, that is also philosophy, right? And um, philosophy will only make sense in, in my mind, and this is uh, something that uh, J. Krishnamurti has also said before, um, which is when you take action, you must look at the relationship of things. So if you're talking about politics, how does it relate to for example, life itself or society. And we need to have um, a clear understanding of all that. And to only look at it from a Western perspective, I think uh, that's limiting. Um, 
I wouldn't say, in that sense, I wouldn't say I have a so-called favorite philosophy when it comes to politics. But we have to, in my mind, look at the circumstances and apply what is relevant. What is relevant to Malaysia today may not be relevant for, let's say, uh, UK today, right? Or vice versa. So, I mean, to me, that's a pretty tough question to answer. Yeah, I think allow me to rephrase. Yeah. Um, I would. I think I should ask the question where which sort of ideology appeals most to you. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because then that is much simpler. Because we understand that mm. um, we can't always have a singular way of thinking or a singular mm. ideology because mm. it may not fit every single criteria for different circumstances. So like Absolutely. you said, uh, yeah. what, what philosophy works for Malaysia mm. may not work for the mm. UK. What works for the UK may not mm. work for us. Yep. So on... Um, you see, so on this point, this yeah. actually is very relevant uh, uh, in terms of ideology and what I said earlier about uh, Siddhartha Gautama, otherwise known as the Buddha. He advocates very simple, the, the middle path right i.e. take what is moderate and not only that some one of his other teachings is to always see things as they are so um i'll give you an example um the vast majority of western nations today believe in the free market and wholeheartedly pursue policies based on capitalism or this idea of a free market but if they see things as they are, they will realize that if we continuously just go for growth, you know, infinite growth, it's just not sustainable, right? So if it is not sustainable, why are we doing it? So we are being driven by something else, right? So, I mean, I don't want to go into that. But that point leads me to, I, I, I think at heart, I'm a lefty, so socialist. Uh, but at the same time, I believe in certain freedoms. But these freedoms need to be balanced, as you know, you were saying. Earlier. Like you said, moderation. Yeah, right, exactly. So that's where the middle path comes in. To what extent do we accord freedoms? Um, and to what extent should we look at the communal uh, interests rather than individual interests? I think that's important. Okay, so would you agree that it's safe to say people would rather pursue short-term or rather short-lived, um, how to say, achievements rather than looking at what's in the long run for them? Because, um, as you say, they pursue on ideas towards the free market where mm. they are awarded, um, I don't know, within their lifetime mm. compared to as to whether it's sustainable in the coming centuries or mm. years to come. I yeah I think um, it's true people but I I need to qualify that it's people today right are uh, right. very uh, short term have very short term perspectives they want to have quick wins quick profits and this is actually something that we have been uh, conditioned and trained to do right um, people in olden days when they plan, 
or at least in China, probably in, in, in India as well, they look at centuries. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this anecdote, um, controversial to some people, but I believe it is true. Uh, apparently, when Zhao Enlai visited Washington back in the day when Nixon was still um, the president, of course, he went with Mao Zedong, and uh, Zhao Enlai was having, uh, you know, making small talk, or rather, Henry Kissinger, the Secretary of State at that point, was making small talk with uh, Zhao Enlai. And he asked him, what do you think of the French Revolution? Now, the French Revolution happened almost 200 years before that conversation. And Zhao Enlai said, it's too soon to say. Meaning to say the implications of what happened almost 200 years to, ago. It has not taken full effect. Yet. Yeah, you can't see the full effect of it yet. Yeah. And if we look back at that now, I think it, it is very... Uh, informational or instructive in the sense that look at where uh, France and their democracy has brought that you know that uh, any country that is based on that uh, form of democracy where are they now look at the you know look at United States yes right um, and all the social and economic problems that they have not to mention the environmental ones so I think um, we can't be too uh, short-sighted now. And, and, and you're absolutely right. People today are too, uh, you know, have, are too short-sighted. But again, it's not their fault. Yep. It's because they're conditioned to be like this through education, through society, through media. So, yeah, that, that, that doesn't bode well for our future. All right. I think that's very interesting because um, my next question will lead up to the similar thought of, uh, have you ever heard of the chicken or the egg? Mm. So um, specifically this question is asking on whether do the people dictate what the country becomes like or do what the country is like dictates what the people is? Mm, yeah, it's, it goes both ways. Right? Um, in fact, um, in a way, you could also liken that to our own bodies. How we feel depends on our body as much as our thoughts. And you know how you think can also make your body feel a certain way and how your body feels can affect how you think. So actually, it, is, uh, it goes both ways. And for me, the... Um, the sad part is people don't see the relevance of nature or life itself or how the universe works and apply it to the so-called man-made world. We are doing a lot of things that um, go against laws of nature and that's why you know, there's so much destruction and, and, and things are not sustainable. So I think, um, um, yeah, I think we need to be more aware of um, the so-called laws of nature. All right. I think that's a very fair argument on your side. So 
F, a very technical question. What advice would you give to future lawyers that are interested in politics? Mm. Any advice would work. <laughs> um, I don't consider that to be technical, actually. Um, let's put it this way. I would highly recommend to people who want to get into politics or any field for that matter and ask themselves why um, and it can't be a shallow answer like oh it's cool oh uh, I think I can make a lot of money out of it um, to me those kind of things you can be cool doing almost anything you can make a lot of money doing a lot of things including illegal things right but um, for me, whatever it is that we do, especially uh, something like politics, then you should have the um, intention and the attitude of serving society or serving people or a certain community. Because if you don't have that, then um, just in the wrong, wrong field, so why, why, why are you in politics? For your own fame? For power? Um, and again, sort of like going back to what you were saying, right? That is very uh, short-sighted, short right? What's the legacy when you die? Right? You might have become a PM, but if you became a PM through corrupt and, uh, you know, uh, duplicitous ways, what's your legacy? How will the future generations remember you. So to me, um, if you want to go into public service, be it in politics or even in government service, I think uh, first and foremost you must have the um, heart and mind to serve. Alright, so you would say that it's the why that is very important, mm. your true intentions as mm. to being a politician, getting into politics as a lawyer, as well as what impact you could have on the community as a whole. Mm -hmm. So, before we end today's episode, just one last question. What would you say to yourself if you are able to speak to yourself when you were in your 20s? <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I think... Um, I would tell myself, look, um, you can change certain things through politics, but you can't change all things through politics. So you have to be, uh, you have to balance your idealism with uh, pragmatism as well. I think uh, that would be what I would tell myself. All right. So thank you for your time today. Today's episode of Career Tape will now come to an end. Thank you for listening to our podcast from Brickfield Asia College Career Club. Do tune in to our next episode that will be released soon on Spotify.